Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Do some aliens resemble slugs? Can a ghost look like a horse? Do spirits leave footprints? Hello there and welcome to the 359th broadcast of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. And those many and varied questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. So for the first time in over a year, we'll be dealing with the extreme paranormal this evening. While our show uh, deals with things that are pretty strange, there are times when we run across cases that seem to be, well, weirder than weird. And that's kind of strange coming from us. So, like, just when you think you've heard everything, that's the kind of show we have tonight. But first, it's time for our weekly paranormal contest. So last week's question was, what kind of ghostly figure supposedly haunts several government buildings in Washington, D.C. at the same time, including the U.S. Capitol and the White House? Well, Hector Rodriguez from Carroll City, Florida, I thought it was going to be Coral City, Florida, no, it's Carroll City, Florida, was the first to get that one right, the so-called Demon Cat. This demon cat, which at first looks like an ordinary kitty, is supposedly seen before national disasters uh, here and there. It could be the White also House presidential elect, also and elections too. And elections too. That's right. Uh, and then it somehow swells to the size of a tiger. Given the goings on of the past decade or so, the poor thing must be worn to a frazzle. In the 1940s, a Capitol policeman supposedly died of a heart attack after seeing it. Uh, along with the Capitol, as I say, it turns up at the White House and several other government buildings. All right, so this week's question is, when was the last time that a fleet of UFOs was seen over Japan? So be the first to get that right and win a copy of the newest edition of Footsteps in the Attic, my dad's most popular book. Now, we do welcome callers this evening, especially as we have no guest, and our phone numbers locally or from Canada, 401-766-1240, or from anywhere in the USA, 800-449-1240. Now, we probably should mention before we begin that uh, at least once, maybe twice during this broadcast, we've we've been asked to take a call from uh, WON sports reporter Lou Mandeville, who will be reporting on some local Little League action in northern Rhode Island here. I believe it's, is it Woonsocket versus Lincoln? Or it's one, yeah, it's Woonsocket versus Lincoln. Okay, and uh, so uh, th- that'll be a little bit unusual for our extremely unusual show. Well, it's, a bi- it's a big playoff game. It's a big so playoff it's kind game. Of a, yeah, kind of a big, the, big deal around here. Absolutely, yeah, with those uh, reports brought to you by Simon Chevrolet serving Woonsocket for over 40 years. So we will uh, pause uh, unexpectedly for that at any point. So uh, now, of course... Uh, uh, we follow on this station a um, wonderful, good, wonderful friend of ours, uh, Joe Ferrier, who has been the the host of Woonsocket Open Line, the afternoon talk show around here uh, for my goodness, fifty years. Fifty years. Wow. And uh, Joe is um, he, he doesn't often talk about this, but he was a renowned UFO expert in the 1960s. As a matter of fact, we had him as a very popular guest one time a few years ago on the show, and he hasn't kind of wanted to come back because he's kind of got that behind him. But uh, he was saying, gee, what did you fellows think of the new show Chasing UFOs, which debuted on the History Channel, I believe it was no, this No, it was, uh, it was uh, National Geographic. National Ge- Geographic Channel, you know, from which one expects a certain amount of quality. All right. Well, I don't know. Do you want... Well, I, I, I didn't get a chance to watch it, but I've, I've heard some bad things. Well, bad I, I watched of it. it. 
Oh, okay. Well, yeah, all right. You can give your well. I was. I must say, I was somewhat disappointed. I mean, there are so many fine experts out there, many of whom are well known to our listeners, uh, who could be on these shows, and perhaps I don't know. They don't have the time, or, or, or I don't know. But you have these these people running around out there, and it's as it's as if they they took, um, what what is that? Hunting Bigfoot or uh, finding Bigfoot. Finding Bigfoot, which at least is entertaining because it's kind of funny, and the the characters I think are kind of endearing the the team, and they kind of transferred it to the UFO realm, and I I just I was disappointed. I expected more from Nat Geo, and I expected more from that subject. As we said to Joe, the subject of UFO research does demand a certain amount of sophistication i would say um so anyway maybe it'll get better but i don't know just they they didn't get off to a very good start anyway no. all right so let's begin our ultra bizarre tonight there is a story dates from 1983 but uh, it, it leads into a couple of cases now we did not work on this case i did not work on the case but so the information is uh, secondhand. It's from our friend Lon Strickler of uh, phantomsandmonsters.com. But I have worked on uh, similar cases, and we know other people who have as well. This occurred in Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. And a native of that town, a fellow's name was Donnie Decker. Oh, Donnie Darko, right? Donnie uh, Darko. Yeah. And uh, he'd been surrounded most of his life by a phenomenon that remains unsolved to this day, at least so says this. I'm reading this directly. I, actually, I think I have an answer to it. It started after his grandfather's death when he was a teenager in February of 1983. Now, unknown to everyone within the family, Don had been carrying a secret about his grandfather since the age of seven. And uh, Donnie uh, alleges that his grandfather had been repeatedly uh, physically abusing him. Uh, Don was disturbed by the reverence shown to his grandfather at the funeral, because nobody else knew about this. And afterwards, uh, spending the night with friends, uh, the, those feelings erupted in a way, at least this is according to the person who's writing this, I don't, I don't see it this way, uh, erupted in a way that could never have been foreseen. Uh, and I'm quoting here, who knows what emotional turmoil that sort of thing unleashes within the mind and spirit of an adolescent, but there are those who say that Donnie Decker allowed it to manifest in a series of strange, paranormal events. And again, at the end of this, I'll have my own interpretation. Uh, as he sat quietly with friends, the air around him suddenly turned cold, and at the same time, water started to drip from the living room walls. Don fell into an eerie trance-like state. The tenants of the property immediately called the landlord and uh, to report the water dripping from the walls and the ceiling. Uh, when the landlord arrived, he was mystified as to what was happening, oddly enough. And as the landlord, uh, he knew where the plumbing was located and that there were none any, there was none, no pipes or anything, there were no pipes or anything anywhere near the vicinity of that room. The plumbing was all at the rear of the building and the water was pouring through one room only, only where no pipes were located. Now Ron quickly realized that water wasn't simply traveling downwards from the walls and ceiling, it was pouring up out of the floor as well. At this point, they called local police. This sounds like us in the Bridgeport. What, what, what are the police supposed to do? Yeah, exactly. We were watching pictures flying off the wall and clothes uh, landing in, in a baby well, carriage. It's not like they're trained for this sort of thing, but it's just sort of a natural reaction, you know? Uh, yeah, I suppose it is. Yeah, you, you're in trouble. You call the police. Hmm. Uh, okay, here, now here's a, there, there was a particular patrolman named John Bouillon, I believe it's pronounced, uh, couldn't believe his eyes, of course, when he arrived at the scene and was taken aback enough by what was unfolding before him to call in his partner, Patrolman Richard Wilbert. 
Uh, together they stepped into the one room that was affected by the water and immediately both were drenched through with rain coming from the ceiling. Both observed the droplets of water traveling horizontally between them and move out of the room in midair. So this was beginning to grow and spread. So wait, was this like a wall of water? Well, this is, you know what I'm thinking of is Joe Citro, our friend from Vermont's Bard of the Bazaar, our good friend who's sometimes on the show and who uh, was was with us when we lectured in Montpelier yeah. uh, last uh, um, in May, uh, he had a case just like this. He writes about it in his book uh, Passing Strange, which is a great book. It also mentions one of my cases, so <laughs> make sure you pick it up. Anyway, uh, we'll get to that. I just want to finish up some of this uh, stuff about this indoor rain that was occurring. Uh, it had now been almost a full 24 hours since the indoor rain had begun, and as they sat, uh, the people went out, got out of the place, probably just to dry off, and they went to a local restaurant. Uh, Donnie, uh, the rain boy, as he would later become known, still appeared in a trance-like state. The owner of the restaurant, uh, whose name was Pam Scarfano, uh, who had earlier witnessed the rain herself in the house, thought out loud that maybe Donnie was responsible and maybe it was the devil's work and that Donnie was possessed somehow. No sooner had Pam... Uh, and the others who were with them and Donnie seated themselves around a table at the restaurant, then the seemingly impossible happened there. It started to rain inside the cafe. Now, alarmed, uh, Pam rushed to her cash register where she kept a crucifix and placed it around Donnie's neck. Supposedly, it immediately turned black and burned Donnie on the neck. Now, with all the exorcisms I've been involved with, and that was many years ago, particularly as a seminary student working in psychiatric hospitals, Excuse me. Uh, I have never seen that happen. Uh, this case, I did check on it. Uh, Lon is pretty sure that it's that it's accurate, and it has been uh, passed down and recorded. Matter of fact, I believe it's been even been televised. Some of it. I still think these things tend to get embellished as we go. Although uh, this is possible, uh, we'll as I say, we'll get into some of this about, about my own experiences and how it might relate to this uh, when I'm done with the narrative here. Uh, the Kiefers and Donnie, the Kiefers of the friends who were with them in the restaurant, decided to leave the place, and as soon as they did so, the rain stopped inside the building. It was at this point the consensus appeared to be that Donnie was the cause. Now, back at the house, the rain had started again, and accusations toward Donnie started to fly as soon as they arrived again at the, at the house. Now, at this stage, the pots and pans on the stove started to rattle, and without warning, Donnie suddenly levitated and was thrown across the room. The police chief was called in, but he put the whole incident down to plumbing issues, some plumbing issues, and ordered his men to leave, though he also ordered his men to say nothing of the incident, not to file a report. That's worse than the Bridgeport police when we were involved in those poltergeists down there. Uh, This continues. Uh, The following day, Lieutenant William Davies of the local force uh, became yet another witness to the events in the house. He and Lieutenant John Rundle witnessed the seemingly impossible happen again. Donnie Decker was levitated off the floor and hurled across the room. Uh, when they rushed to his aid, they found three claw marks upon his back. These are all things that have happened uh, in, in my presence as well, not in this particular case, of course. It is worth bearing in mind at this point that we now have four experienced, respected, and completely trustworthy officers of the law who have witnessed the seemingly impossible occur. Rarely does any paranormal event have such authoritative testimony. I don't know, I've been involved in two of them. Three nights later, the rain was still pouring down inside the house. An exorcism for Donnie seemed the only possible answer, at least according to the people around him. 
But every Catholic priest and Protestant minister turned all requests down. I've seen that happen before, too. Eventually, an evangelical preacher was found who agreed to perform the exorcism. Although Donnie convulsed during the ritual, things appeared to calm down and the rain stopped. The results, however, were temporary. I've seen that a hundred times. Soon after, Donnie was sentenced to prison for a theft and was placed in a maximum security cell. Once again, the rain started inside the cell. Startled guards removed Donnie from his soaked uh, prison space and accused him of throwing water from the sink around his cell. He pointed out to the guards that I can make it happen anywhere and I can control it. Unquote. The guards then taunted him with the challenge of making it rain somewhere like the warden's office. Well, that would have been too smart. Lieutenant David Keenhold was acting warden and sitting in his office, oblivious to the events going on with Donnie, when a guard came into the office to explain what was going on. Upon standing up, the warden only then became aware that his shirt was saturated with water, and he hadn't felt it happen to him as soon as he, foc- as he was focused on writing a report. When the guard explained that Donnie had said that he could make it rain in the warden's office, the warden was mystified, and in his own testimony states that he and the guard were both frightened. The warden called in local clergy. Uh, and this particular uh, fellow was the Reverend William Blackburn, uh, and he accused Donnie of making things up, and he rattled Donnie, replied by raising his fingers and instantly causing rain to fall. The shocked uh, clergyman uh, realized that Donnie did, did harbor the power to make it rain and reached the immediate conclusion that he was possessed. Performing some religious rites, uh, the I guess he was a minister, appears to have dispelled the ability Donnie had. Since then, it seems Donnie has never been able to recreate the phenomenon. Very interesting. Okay. Sounds like an episode of the X-Files. Yeah, it does. But, you know, had I not seen this sort of thing myself, in a simple way, I'm thinking of, um, we, we, we don't usually bring people with us on our cases because they get in the way and they don't know anything usually. Mm. However, Cousin Marshall was part of our experiment that got you involved with me, and that was to see whether blood relatives have similar reactions or respond the same way to certain, if you, well, for lack of a better term, psychic stimuli in cases like this. And um, you were a big yes, and here we are. So, oh yeah. But our cousin Marshall Bissett from Connecticut, who um, may be listening in, I don't know. Hello, Marshall. If you are, we'll see you on the Fourth of July. Was um, uh, very helpful in a particular case in Connecticut. I'm not going to say where because it's a public library, very mm-hmm. small public library. And we they called us in because there were a number of strange things going on. Particularly weird was the cellar stairs. Very old building, of course, very small. And on these cellar stairs, water seemed to just appear and drip from no discernible source. And Marshall had experience in carpentry and things of this kind, and that's why one of the reasons I asked him to come along. But uh, we we actually stood there and watched this water like dripping off these stairs. And very interestingly, this had been going on for, for some considerable time, a matter of years, and the stairs, the wood on the stairs never never deteriorated, never rotted, never seemed to react to the water in any way. And it was not, as far as I could see, um, pressure-treated wood that's supposed to be water-resistant, and it wasn't even painted. So uh, even though, you know, why would you do that indoors? You wouldn't use pressure-treated wood indoors. So in any case, uh, this, this seemed to be, and as far as I know, it's still going on. So we haven't been back there, but it was uh, neither of us could figure out quite what was happening, and it seemed to be sort of spontaneous manifestation of matter from you guessed it a parallel reality in our opinion. I mean, how else do you explain something like that? How could he control it? Oh, this guy. Well, that, that's that's. Let's get more serious here. There's the case in Vermont 
that our friend, as I say, Joe Citro writes about in his book, I believe it's his book, uh, Passing Strange. And Passing Strange has a number of interesting cases in it, including this one, and I can't remember what it's called, but it had to do with a very similar case of water uh, raining inside a house, uh, in this case somebody's living room in Vermont, and the police come in, nobody could, could solve it, and eventually it kind of worked itself out. Now, the nature of, and, and then I'm comparing it also with the, the Bridgeport Poltergeist case that I was involved with in 1974. Plenty of police officers, firefighters were there, uh, and they did write reports, uh, copies of which I have, that, uh, as a matter of fact, they're reproduced in my book, Faces at the Window, the 1998 uh, book, and it, it, it does have the full story of this, this uh, house in which uh, large, heavy objects were moving and uh, seemingly by... Uh, you know, certainly no physical means that we could discern. There were a number of other things going on. Uh, things were flying off the uh, walls, particularly uh, photographs. Uh, clothing was being taken out of drawers by an unseen hand, if you will. And uh, all sorts of things went on. It became quite famous, and uh, we were getting calls from as far away as Australia, from the media, and all this business. The police eventually came in and ordered the house... Uh, Oh, actually ordered the, declared, I should say, that the little girl in the house had done all this stuff, moving 300 pound refrigerators, etc. And, uh, they, they essentially were trying to clear up the traffic that was caused by this, uh, in this area. So, so anyway, I've witnessed things like this. Uh, this, however, did not include indoor rain. But I have heard of many, many times of cases like that. You hear very often of bleeding statues or icons, things of this kind, or religious objects uh, that people consider to be some sort of sign from, from God. And you know, I guess everything's a sign from God when you think about it. And there was a matter of also uh, material objects uh, manifesting in many cases, here and there, things coming and going, uh, right down to things that may have happened to you. Putting your keys down when you get home from work on the counter, all of a sudden you turn around and they're not there, and they're somewhere else. And we say, ah, well, it's just one of those things. Well, you know, one of what things? So these are all, from the, the raining inside the house all the way down to your keys disappearing, in our opinion and in my experience, certainly the effects of the nature of the multiverse. Uh, we don't apparently live in a universe. Quantum physics indicates that we live in a multiverse with many, many parallel worlds and in which all possibilities exist. Now, so why could this kid control this? Well, maybe he couldn't. One thing to bear in mind is that in this Bridgeport case, or when your keys are being moved, or in any of these things where something's raining, we automatically assume, and we're always on a crusade against assumptions on this show, people just assume, aha, the ghost did it, or some spirit did it. Well, there's no indication of that at all. I mean, that's a logical conclusion, I suppose. But we find very often that the energies in areas where paranormal phenomena can occur are actually what's doing it. Uh, I, I always use, and I'm frequently used on the air, the, uh, the example of you running down a narrow hallway uh, and there are papers on a desk or on a table in the hallway and the air caused by your passage will disrupt the papers, maybe make them fall on the floor, blow around, something like that. So you didn't actually move the papers, but the energy you created or the energy... Uh, in the air through which you were moving actually moved the papers. I think a lot of these things that happen that are attributed to, quote, the ghost are just energies caused by the, the, the blending of the various fields, energy fields that are related to these parallel worlds, which we move through all the time. So I think that may be responsible here. 
I think we've got the different worlds blending in these cases. The poltergeist case in Connecticut was, in my opinion, one in which this was occurring. And the entities involved, that there were four of them that I believe I was able to identify, uh, polter, poltergeists are essentially parasitical entities, in my opinion, uh, that have gotten such strength that they can uh, literally uh, pretty much come into our world and affect people. In this case, they were after this little girl. Now, science, such as it is on these subjects, in, uh, believes generally, for lack of anything better, that uh, the little girl, say in this case, was manifesting so much energy that she, that she pretty much uh, created the disruptions and the energy, but that, that's just, that's, I swear the people that come up with these theories are never actually out in the field working on this stuff. So I think that, that was, was what's happening. You've actually got entities there, but you will have energies as well that permit them to manifest that also do other things. So this rain may have been that sort of thing. I think the boy perhaps thought he could control it. Maybe he could control it. Perhaps he was in touch with another version of himself in a parallel world where it was raining. And I mean, that's no goofier than some of the uh, explanations that, that some of the uh, parapsychologists and other people come up with on this. But in any case, cases like this are recorded. Uh, I've seen things very much like it. And uh, I don't think this one was ever solved as such. And, of course, the question arises, well, you know, th this particular clergyman, what did he do that made it stop? Well, of course, my question is, well, did it stop? Many of these these things tend to be temporary, including exorcisms. Uh, there was one that uh, I was involved in in the 1970s when I was when I was a seminary student that it just it never never did get resolved, and the girl ended up dying, uh, not because of anything uh, we did I hope certainly but but it just it uh, she was in ill health anyway and there were a number of bad factors there, so I don't really know I'd have to have probably have been there and seen it or at least talked with the clergyman and and, and this sort of thing but uh, one does see that these these sorts of phenomena do come and go. They do seem to have a lifetime to them. They can wear themselves out and perhaps never be seen again. Sometimes that happens with, with poltergeists, things of this kind. So there we are. Again, I think there was a world overlap, and maybe the boy was able to control it to a certain degree. I think we have a lot more control over things than we think we do uh, if we hone our minds to that point. All right. So we are... Um, I think we're going to we'll take our regular break now, just in case we... Uh, gets, oh, well, we'll, wait, we'll, we'll wait till we get the call. Okay. Well, why don't we just take it now, and then you can just call after, and then it would be less obnoxious. Well, I don't think obnoxious. Well, not obnoxious, but it, it would be less confusing if we just took it now, and then he... All right, you know, okay. Like, okay. So, you listen to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, and we'll be right back after this message. Hi, this is Romeo Berthiel inviting you to join me every Saturday morning from 6 to 9 for the Saturday Show. This all-request program includes music, news, sports, weather, and all sorts of community announcements. And what a great way to start your weekend. Join me this Saturday morning. Owen Radio. Owen Worldwide. Okay, I wanted to remind you about Amazon Kindle the marvelous e-reader device, which leads the market in e-reader devices. And in case you don't know what an e-reader is, it's a marvelous device which downloads books, magazines, newspapers, and in the case of the Amazon Kindle Fire, uh, applications, games, full-length movies, and everything you can think of for entertainment purposes. It's a great thing to take to the beach uh, in the summer and uh, just 
don't ever uh, don't ever be without it because it's very convenient to to have and you don't have to carry lots of books and it's a lot cheaper in the long run I think and get them at Staples uh, it's one ninety nine for the Amazon Kindle and as low as seventy nine dollars for the Amazon the main Amazon uh, device so anyway don't forget to do that and of course you can also get four of my books on the Amazon Kindle device that is Faces at the Window and the, which has the full story of the case we just talked about in Bridgeport Connecticut Footsteps in the Attic. And uh, Chris Turning Home, God, Ghosts, and Human Destiny. And for those of you who are history buffs, uh, Rhode Island, A Genial History, which I wrote with uh, Channel former Channel 12 uh, reporter Glenn Laxton, a marvelous uh, fellow and marvelous historian. And we had a lot of fun writing that. And it's used in several of our school districts here in Rhode Island, so check that out as well. So there's four of my books are available. And if I ever finish my f- next one, that will be available on Kindle, too. So Amazon Kindle. Check it out at Staples, especially. They have Amazon Kindles for sale right there. So that, that should be a marvelous activity for the summer. Okay, let's um, let's take a bit of a... Um, of, of an, take an email here that I think is is pretty unusual. It'll get us started in our second half hour in a bit of a d- dissonant. Um, well, note. unfortunately, we will not have time for that because we have Lou Mandeville on the line ready to talk about the little league game between Winsocket and Lincoln. So, Lou, take it away. All right, thank you, guys. We are uh, still in the third inning here at Hartnett Field. Lincoln's broken it open a little bit with two homers in the inning. Uh, the first one by Steve Andrews, a towering homer, and then Evan Rivers with a two-run pinch hit homer. We're still in the third with one down and leaking ahead of each one second by a score of five to nothing. Reporting live from Harmon Field, Pro End Sports, I'm Lou Mandeville. Chevrolet is now spelled S-I-M-O-N. Simon Chevrolet has a full stock of the newest cars, trucks, and SUVs Chevrolet has to offer. They have the eco-friendly Chevy Volt, which you need to drive to believe. They also have the Cruze, Impala, and Malibu. Gorgeous, sporty cars under $15,000. Simon Chevrolet is what car buying should be. They make it simple. Simon Chevrolet is Northern Rhode Island's largest collision repair facility. They'll fix your car in their beautiful new state-of-the-art facility. Please visit SimonChevy.com and browse the thousands of vehicles and see photos, details, and prices. Stop by Simon Chevrolet at 114 Fortin Drive, Woonsocket. Say hi to Joe and Wayne. Simon Chevrolet, Woonsocket's number one new car dealer. One family, one dealership. Our family serving yours continuously for over 40 years. And we're back behind the paranormal with Paul and Bainey Eno on WON 1240 AM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. Thank you, Lou, for that report. Now, let's get back to our email. Let's get to an email here in our show on the extreme paranormal. This is entitled, Lousy Oboe Playing Ghost. Okay, and it's from Ed in, or Eddie in Topeka, Kansas. Can you handle this, Ben, or you want me to do it? You do it. Okay. Hi, Paul and Ben. I, Ben's busy as our producer tonight. Hi, Paul and Ben. I know you have probably seen it all, and I have no doubt that you will explain this via the multiverse, and I agree. But we have a ghost in our house who has, has to be one of the worst musicians I have ever heard. He plays the oboe in our guest be- bedroom, or sometimes in the room below that, at least once a week. Luckily, it has never happened when we have guests in the house, usually our grandchildren. Otherwise, we'd have to come up with some quick explanations. The dog hears it, too, and starts to howl along with the attempted music. 
As you would say, we are certainly sharing space with some untalented but determined sap from someone else. Is there any way to close off the portal or point of contact before he drives us nuts? Well, Eddie, thank you for a very entertaining uh, note here. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what to tell you here. I think you are right. You're dealing with somebody who's uh, in probably sharing your area in a parallel world and is attempting to learn the oboe. Now, I would like to ask a couple of questions. First of all, do you have an oboe in the house? I mean, is it possible that there's some other explanation for this? Also, do you know anything about the history of the house? Did anybody live there who played the oboe before? Because that doesn't necessarily mean a thing. Yeah, because it could be someone else from somewhere else who yeah, plays the oboe. Absolutely, or someone from the future even, or our future, or some parallel world that didn't even intersect with ours. So that, that's not even... But you never know. It could have some interesting... Uh, possibilities there for clues. Uh, it's interesting that it's not when anybody else is in the house, and it's very interesting when the dog hears it and howls. Reminds me of Grandma. This is, she used to uh, practice the, the violin when she was a kid, and this dog would come from two streets away just to howl. Anyway, why don't you try and see, Eddie, if you can get a recording of this. I'd love to hear some kind of recording. And uh, I wish you had, had mentioned whether it recorded or not. I've often seen things that uh, we've heard with the naked ear during cases record or not record I should say and then of course the big thing among the the, the feral ghost hunter set today is the EVP or the electronic voice phenomenon in which they didn't hear anything uh, but it, they do they do hear sounds after they use a digital machine or something of that kind to record it or just just to record what's going on and sometimes they even uh, claim they communicate one way or the other so see if you can do that I'd like to hear more about this other than that you bring up a very interesting question. Is it possible to close portals, if that's what these are, or to somehow break the connection between the two overlapping worlds or universes in the quantum sense of the word? Well, that is something that actually we've been experimenting with. And uh, all through the years that I've done this, I just there are times when it seems to happen, times when it doesn't happen. If people are very determined seemingly to close it off, or they use tools su such as, and this could have happened in the Rainboy case too, such as uh, uh, things that, that, that bring uh, the power of their faith to bear, uh, That in the case of the Rainboy and exorcism, uh, they might very well have broken the connection between the two worlds but through the power of their own uh, belief and their own minds, which is something that is very powerful. So I think if you get together with, with your wife, and I, I, you don't indicate there's anybody else in the house with you except the dog and then this, this lousy musician, uh, see if you can't ignore it and maybe break, break the chain just by simply concentrating on something else. And both of you concentrate on saying, you know, we're going to close this off, we don't want this noise anymore, and then sometimes it's as simple as that. I, don't get hostile. Don't get frightened. Don't try not to get annoyed because that, uh, this doesn't sound like a parasite to me. But you don't want to introduce that negative energy into any situation, paranormal or otherwise. So just keep it simple and try to concentrate sort of on, on, on breaking the thing, closing the door, whatever you want to call it. And then uh, let us know what happens. But uh, there are people who have had worse things than ghosts who are lousy at uh, playing the oboe. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I know there are much worse things than that. Here's a very interesting a report now that we got from one of our listeners in Australia, where we, for some reason, have a pretty good audience. Uh, now, we just got word yesterday, th this is 
Saturday, I should say Sunday, that the Australian government has released a 315-page document which had been classified on the disappearance of a fellow named Frederick Valentich, 20 years old when he disappeared, and that occurred on October 21st, 1978. Actually, I thought that record had been completely lost, but apparently not. Australian National Archives came up with it yesterday. Uh, Valentich was flying a Cessna 182L light aircraft over the Bass Strait in Australia. That's about 200 miles west of Melbourne. And during the flight, Valentich advised Melbourne Air Traffic Control that he was being paced by an unusual aircraft about a 1,000 feet above him. He said that the craft was acting strangely, that his own plane's engine was starting to run poorly, and finally said, quote, the strange aircraft is hovering on top of me again. It is hovering, and it's not an aircraft, unquote. That was it. Valentich and his plane were never found, and an Australian Department of Transport investigation concluded that the reason for the disappearance could not be determined. Now, of course, being a Coast Guard veteran, I, I ha- cannot help but notice that he was probably flying over water at the time, and, you know, if you land on the water, I mean, you may, may or may not be found, and depending on how deep it is, uh, that, that's, a, that's an open question. But nevertheless, no record was ever found, and certainly uh, Valentich was never found. Now, interestingly enough, a number of UFO reports from the ground accompanied this incident. Now, what's interesting from the sound perspective is that Valentich's final recorded transmission to Melbourne Air Traffic Control contains 17 seconds of unexplained, quote, metallic scraping sounds, unquote. And the first thing that came to mind, if you heard our show two weeks ago, was the sounds that are being heard supposedly from various parts of the world. We did a whole show on it. We interviewed Linda Moulton Howe, the renowned science journalist who is a very good friend of ours, an occasional co-host of our show. And she looked into this, and uh, we played some recordings of it. I was going to play one tonight, but I thought with all with everything's going on, we, we wouldn't have time. But check that show out from two weeks ago. It's available in podcast form on your computer, uh, behindtheparanormal.com, on our podcast page for the year 2012. And uh, you can hear those sounds, some of them anyway. So that, that's what came to mind when I heard about these metallic scraping sounds. Uh, the tape of the conversation with Valentich uh, ended with these noises, uh, and it had never been been made public. Uh, only researchers and Valentich's parents heard the recordings, so I have not heard the recordings, but those the description of the sounds reminded me of what I just described. Now, an American researcher, Dr. Richard F. Haynes, formerly of NASA, analyzed the sounds and described them thus, and quote, 36 separate bursts with fairly constant start-and-stop pulses bounding each one, unquote. And uh, Dr. Haynes said that there were, quote, no discernible patterns in time or frequency. Unquote. The significance of the sounds, if any, has never been determined, and we haven't yet had time to read the Australian government documents, but it is, it is, it is believed by many that Valentich was actually taken by this craft, this UFO, uh, and his plane along with him, and the case has never been solved. Ben, what do you think about that? Uh, it's definitely going to be one of those things where... You know, I'm not entirely sure like how accurate those documents would be. I mean, are were, are they in that whole um, what's the word transparency thing? Well, they include. Well, I don't know what the Australian government's policy on transparency is, but they are they supposedly include the entire text of all the tra- the, the transcripts of the conversations between Valentich and the uh, air traffic control authorities in Melbourne. Well, I know that they're not as um, what's the word. Uh, malicious as some uh, governments out there, or uh, so are they coming out and saying 
what I think they're saying? I don't know. I, I think what, what what they've done is release the documents that have been. But the question is, why were they classified? That's what I'd like to know. Yeah, exactly. In, that's in that's what place. I that's what I wanted yeah. to know too. And there's got to be a reason why they're letting people know this. Well, they have the freedom of information. something similar to the Freedom of Information Act, as the United States does, and as does Great Britain and Canada, I believe. And so uh, some of these. There are, there are a lot of governments are releasing UFO information that had, particularly the British, uh, that had not been available before. So uh, I'm, I'd like to read this, but I was struck by those sounds, the description of the sounds, and I'd love to hear a recording of them. Yeah, I mean, did they did they uh, include a recording with them or? I don't know. None of the documents. Well, again, these the Australian Ministry of Transport, Department of Transport, has the recordings of the transcripts involved and because of the actual talk between the tower and the pilot would have included the sounds but as far as I know, only the words are included in the the transcript that were, were from the document that was released on on uh, uh presumably saturday so I, I don't know so there we are any case we'll see what happens we'll look into that a moving bit on to more weird paranormal yeah indeed yeah uh okay well here we are speaking of those sounds uh, some have been reported almost locally here in uh, southern New England. Uh, we have a report from uh, Linda Bolton Howe, whom I've just uh, mentioned, a uh, very good friend of ours and an uh, Emmy Award-winning journalist. She reports here uh, April 26th this year in North America and uh, England in particular, there were a number of sounds. Now, here's a one in May 1st, 2012, from Boston and also Tacoma, Washington area, too. Uh, the great WK, uh, KJAQ, where we're heard on Sundays. Uh, Earth Files, that's her website, that's what she, how, how she releases her information, has received many more strange boom reports. These are booming sounds uh, that, that uh, also are being heard along with these, uh, these metallic sounds that we described. Uh, reporting on April 26, 2012, about the bizarre and still unexplained metallic jolting booms throughout North America and abroad that have persisted since February 2012. Recently, a series of boom phenomena, all happening between April 12th and 14th, ranged from Bath, England, to Central Ohio, to Tacoma, Washington, San Diego County, California, Columbia, Missouri. And uh, this, uh, and she she reproduces an email here uh, that came from the Boston area. And uh, this is from a fellow named Steve. I won't give his last name. Uh, the May 1st email came from an environmental engineer, the Steve, uh, who works in Boston uh, at a waste site cleanup and sent the Boston Metro News a story about unexplained sounds and flashes of light on Friday, April 27th and Sunday, April 29th in the area of Zeller Street near the Fallon Field in Roslindale, a suburb southwest of Boston, which is, I believe, in our broadcast area. And apparently this happened over the weekend, but didn't make it into the local free newspaper until Tuesday morning, May 1st. And for the record, uh, we do have fault lines in Massachusetts, a great deal of them, but we're not particularly earthquake-prone, and we do not have fracking here. Although, uh, was it 1835? Most of Back Bay in Boston uh, was history because of the Cape Ann earthquake. So when we do get them, we get them. I remember uh, 1987. I was on the uh, in the newsroom at the Providence Journal, where, where I was an editor, and uh, I, I happened to be sitting down. Everybody else was running around as they usually do in newsrooms, and everything started to shake. And um, I said, "Boy, did we just have an earthquake?" And he says, "Ha, what?" And uh, oh, what are you talking about? You know, and all. 
And then, of course, uh, eight minutes later, comes to the Associated Press that a quake all the way up in the Laurentian Mountains of Quebec, hundreds and hundreds of miles away, had affected us here in Rhode Island, which was rather shocking because in in the West, California, earthquakes affect, because of the geology, they affect uh, areas very severely, but not very large areas. Whereas here, the entire eastern seaboard can be affected because of the nature of our geology, of the uh, a lot of uh, I can't exactly explain it, but when I was in the Coast Guard, we we were, believe it or not, taught about something about this. A possible emergency could be a major earthquake in the Northeast. So anyway, whether that has anything to do with these sounds, I don't know. Uh, here is uh, here are some of the ways some of the people people who reported this in Boston described the sounds in April. Uh, loud, heavy traffic and or airplane noises late at night. That's not unusual for Boston. Even though we weren't close to any highways per se, uh, there are some busy roads, but even then, they were well away from where I was walking. It was about 11 p.m., walking home from my bus stop on an otherwise quiet street. It was annoying how loud it was because it wasn't the time I was normally out there. Another thing was the horn-type sound. We heard that two weeks ago, recordings of the almost trumpet-like sounds. Oh, yeah. And uh, more like an ocean buoy of the whistle or horn type. Uh, most of us, us New Englanders around here, know the sound of a foghorn uh, that you might see around certain uh, certain lighthouses or in rocky areas along the coast where uh, ships are being warned away from the coast. Uh, you landlubbers might not, but it is a very low, strong sound of a of a horn, mm. and. Some of the sounds we heard recorded from different parts of the world did kind of remind me in a way of those, although the sounds uh, being heard around the world seemed to be a little bit more metallic than that. Uh, so anyway, he describes this uh, as being heard in the area of Boston, uh, and he decided uh, to report it, and there you have it. So uh, I, if anyone in our listening area was witness to those sounds, we'd love to hear about it. And so don't hesitate to... Uh, Wait, to where was this again? Know. Boston. April twenty seventh. April twenty seventh. Oh yeah. Were you in Boston on April twenty seventh? No, no. Someone I was talking to, they they were in Boston uh, with uh, their brother, and she said that she uh, saw a bunch of black helicopters like flying over the highway, like really low. Well, this guy reported flashes of light too. Now, now, black helicopters. Yeah, we're getting lots of reports of those. Uh, Of course, again. Might not mean anything, and of course, you know what? Are, what are the possible explanations for these things? When we did our show on those sounds, uh, the seismic explanation came up very often. It's been shown that, at least in experiments uh, with sm- with small rocks and things of this kind, that, uh, that that simulated the Earth's crust, you can create brief flashes of light in the sky when there is te- when there is seismic activity going on under the ground. I think it's as low as a, uh, perhaps as deep as a mile. But it doesn't really explain long periods of lights or UFOs or things of this kind. At least no explanation has been found yet. But flashes of light accompanied by those sounds may very well be seismic, something I do not find very reassuring. Now, when I was growing up, it was in the area of central Connecticut, not too far from here really, and we had the moodest noises. People called it the moodest noises, and there were a series of booms that sounded like artillery fire, and like the booming sounds that are being reported. And it's, it has been found, supposedly, by the seismic people from the University of Connecticut that this is a seismic phenomenon, that things uh, moving underground and uh, creating these booming sounds. So, uh, again, uh, this being such a strange area seismically, I don't find that particularly reassuring, but they do seem to be coming from all over the world. 
there, there is other speculation that some of these at least are sonic booms, you know, aircraft. It's funny, I remember this, being a kid in the late 1950s when they started building supersonic aircraft. Mm-hmm. And you would get to a point where the plane would be going so fast the air couldn't really move out of the way anymore and there would be this booming sound. And you'd hear it, and it's but we got used to it. But you know you don't really hear that very much anymore. Supposedly the, the, the airfoils that they've they've since been using maybe in the last twenty years uh, limit the um, sonic boom sounds. But uh, nevertheless, there is a, a a boom carpet. That's the actual term that's used uh, in uh, aviation. That it keeps moving along the ground as the plane moves. So it's not just a boom. It just it keeps moving. Were you to follow it? You just hear this this constant booming sound. So whether that's some form of what's being heard, I don't know. It certainly can't explain the metallic sounds that have been heard. So yeah. this is an open question, and we'll continue to follow it uh, with our news department, I guess, as we yeah. as we go. So uh, we do have uh, some reports too on uh, the Thunderbird phenomenon. Thunderbirds being very like, like Mothman type stuff. Uh, well, I don't know if you well, you, I don't know if you can include Mothman in that, but extremely huge birds are bird-like creatures. All right, now th- there's a th- that what Mothman, of course, we were talking about was in the 1960s. Yeah, but usually and, Thunderbirds appear when there's like some sort of catastrophe about to happen or something like the heralds. Well, of, take a look at the planet and tell me where there's yeah, not a catastrophe. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> like the poor cat, the worn-out uh, demon cat in the U.S. Capitol. Yeah, I know. But in any case, that. There are some reports. That this is from um, Wyoming County, Pennsylvania. Okay, and this is from October 31st of last year. We have two reports: one from October and one just from this last February. Uh, both, I believe, from Pennsylvania. Yep. And uh, this report from uh, the fellow's name is Dan, and he said, "I was driving on Route 11 in Factoryville, Pennsylvania, today, being October 31st, 2011, around 2:45 p.m. It was sunny." Almost 50 degrees heading west. I looked out to the southwest in the sky, uh, about half to three quarters of a mile away, and noticed, noticing that there was a lot of woods and things of this kind in this area. He noticed something in the sky. I thought it was a hang glider. It was uh, shaped something like a V flying backwards, and it had a head and a neck sticking out. Then I saw it turning right, uh, really tightly, and was thinking how cool it looked. Then it started flapping its wings, and it freaked me out. I never saw a, big, a bird look that big, especially from that distance before. Now, again, this isn't that far from the Ohio Valley, where I remember my mother showing me articles in the Hartford Current about giant birds being seen by motorists along, these, along the Ohio River and in, the, in this whole general vicinity, the central Atlantic inland area. And... Uh, when you, one of the things that you, know, you learn in the military is that distance can be very deceiving, depending yeah. on where you are. Particularly the size of an aircraft or a bird when you're looking up in the sky. But nevertheless, the very shape of this thing that this man describes is is very strange. Like the V shape, flying backwards and with a, a head and a neck sticking out. That's that's almost like I don't know. It kind of reminds you of the pterodactyl kind of kind of a thing, you know. And there have been reports of those here and there. So anyway. Uh, he continues here. This is this this is Dan. I was trying to slow down, but there were cars behind me, and I would have to go down the road and turn around. And really, uh, was nowhere to pull over to see it again. The shape, w- while it was gliding, was very strange. It seemed the wings tapered all the way down to nothing, not to a tail. 
That's odd. I'm 46 years old and lived and hunted in Pennsylvania my whole life and saw turkey vultures, turkeys, great horned owls, cranes, and eagles. This seemed much bigger than any of them. It really sank in how big it was as I drove down the car, drove down the road. There were some crows flying about 75 yards away, and they looked like a speck compared with the other one. It was at uh, at least 800 yards. Uh, If I didn't see the wings flap, I would have passed it off as a hang glider or one of those giant kites. Well, this is is what is is very odd. You know, and when you're looking for odd creatures or cryptids, and and, uh, we sometimes do this, you talked, oh, we've got another report? Well, no, I, I'm saying that uh, Lou, Van, no, Lou Mandeville is on the line. We got a report from WOON sports reporter. Oh, wrong line. <laughs> Lou Mandeville. From Lou Mandeville. So what you got for Hello. us, Lou? Hello, guys. I'm here at the heart of the field. We're in the uh, middle of the fourth yeah, inning. Uh, Lincoln's still ahead of Eastman Soccer by a score of uh, six to nothing, the big third inning for Lincoln. Uh, made Sean Flynn come in and relieve for starting pitcher Jimmy Cabral. Flynn's still in there for Eastman Socket. He's quieting down, and uh, he'll be leading off as Eastman Socket comes to bat here in the fourth inning with Lincoln on top by a score of six to nothing. Reporting live from Hartnett Field for Owen Sports, I'm Lou Mandeville. This sports report is brought to you by the Carew Investment Group. Expecting a distribution from your company retirement plan? You need the help of a financial professional. Call stockbroker and investment advisor Ed Carew. You may be retiring, but your money can't afford to retire. Keep your money working harder with an investment plan designed just for you. Ed Carew has over 20 years of investment experience in IRA rollovers, 401k and 403b distributions from employee retirement plans and in retirement planning so that you don't outlive your money. For superior service and advice on investment planning and long-term care, call Ed at 765-8880. Securities offered through Delta Equity Services Corp., member FINRA and SIPC. Advisory services offered through Delta Global Asset Management, a registered investment and advisor. We're back behind the paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 AM. Thank you, Lou, Lou Mandeville, for that sports report. Interesting counterpoint. Uh, at least he didn't report any pterodactyls attacking the ball field. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's good. So speaking of which, uh, Dan continues his report by, report by saying that this, this creature, this bird, was at least 30 feet across uh, from his, his perspective. And as I say... The people you want to ask in areas where you're looking for anything that is unusual would be hunters. Hunters are out there in all kinds of weather, uh, at all d- different times of the year. They see everything. They'll tell you if there are wolves, coyotes, whatever, uh, or if there's anything strange. And that, that's, those are the first people I talked to. So this fellow says he was a hunter. I think that gives him some credibility in reporting the size of something in the sky or, or creatures that he runs into in the wild. So anyway... There you have it. And he continues here, uh, but we're kind of running out of time, so we'll... Uh, well, we, we have a little bit of time. Yeah, well, there's another report here, too. Oh, uh, yeah. I don't know. Uh, well, how long is the report? Well, it's not long. Okay, well, you, you said can... we had time. Yeah, yeah we, have a, we have a little bit of time. Go for it. Okay. Now, this report comes from February 19th of this year. Uh, two people riding in a car were traveling on Route 906 towards Manesson, Pennsylvania, I believe that's how it's pronounced, along the Monongahela River. It was late afternoon when they saw what they thought was a small aircraft about a 1,000 feet up at at an odd angle. They were startled when the wings flapped twice and moved off into the distance over a hill. 
It was estimated from the distance and altitude observed that this bird, or whatever it was, appeared to have a wingspan of 15 to 20 feet. The bird was a dark brown color, and the wings seemed much thinner than that of a normal bird. And that almost sounds like the, the wing description of Dan here when he's talking. Was uh, this in the same area? Well, yeah, more or less. Uh, I, I don't. I'm not that familiar with the layout of Pennsylvania, but I, I believe this. This is certainly within a hundred miles oh, okay. of Wyoming mm-hmm. County, where where Dan's uh, uh, experience occurred. Now, the it's funny. The, the Mothman experience was. Um, uh, not too far from this area either, usually down in West Virginia and then Ohio area, western Pennsylvania. And the uh, the wings were not described that way. It was described as a humanoid figure, sometimes with no head, with wings uh, that were rather thick. And, of course, this thing would follow people at over 100 miles an hour, so, so according to witnesses anyway, as they were driving their cars and scared the, pretty much the daylight. So, yeah, and very, uh, very odd, yeah, well, certainly a very odd area for Well, I was just going to say, there were, there were some people that, some people would say that they connect the Mothman phenomena with the Thunderbird phenomena, mm-hmm. phenomena. and yeah. I, I can I can see why they say that because they both seem to be uh, heralds of bad of bad news, basically in uh, Native American folklore. Well, not Mothman. Mothman wasn't uh, mentioned in that, but he has been linked to uh, several sightings of the Thunderbird or a Thunderbird. Well, it was linked to the the disaster at the Silver Bridge, the collapse in 1967. Oh yeah, yeah, because supposedly. Uh, things they, people stopped seeing him after that, but that that's not true either from the reports we get. So, yeah, people still know, keep so. seeing it. Anyway, I mean, it's, it's a weird place. It is, and extreme paranormal. Uh, nice people though. We, we we've been there and visited the Mothman Museum and talked to some witnesses, things of that kind. Anyway, uh, I guess we'll have to. We're just about out of time there. We'll have to do our so, closing. So we'll do a little bit of announcements first before yeah. we get to that. So my dad and I have uh, several public speaking engagements coming up with our presentation Exploring the Paranormal with CBS Radio's Paul and Ben Eno in Torrington, Connecticut on Thursday, July 19th, Woodbridge, Suffolk, England on Saturday, September 22nd, and Warwick, Rhode Island, Sunday, October 28th. So watch for more info on these events at www.behindtheparanormal.com. And also at BehindTheParanormal.com, you can buy my books if you wish. You can see information about our future and past guests and get almost 400 podcasts of past shows. This is our fifth season. There are a lot of shows on the air there. Yeah, so we have nearly 400 free podcasts, and that is free, F-R-E-E, on our show website, www.BehindTheParanormal.com. And many thanks to our producer, uh, Ben himself, uh, who's been uh, running the board lately. And we'll see you next Monday, July 9th, right here on WON 1240 AM and com. when Ben and I will welcome back U.S. Air Force Master Sergeant Retired Monroe Nevels for his own unique take on the Rendlesham Forest UFO incidents of 1980, to which he was a central witness. On our regular CBS radio edition, on Sunday, July 18th, in Boston, Pittsburgh, Detroit, and Seattle, we'll welcome author Trish Lesage, who is an experienced multiverse traveler. So she says, anyway. Yeah. And we'll leave you this evening with a quote from the great Roman philosopher and statesman Seneca. It is not because things are difficult that we do not dare. It is because we do not dare that things are difficult. So thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we will see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of... Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.